When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. All right, it's film study. This is the Know Your Foe episode. That means it's your third episode of the week. You should have caught up on the offense and the defense. Now we get to Know Your Foe as we look forward to this Sunday as the Cleveland Browns come to Baltimore, which really should be more of the focus of a quarterback matchup than last week's game. Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm excited. I mean, it's we're halfway through the week. This is where we really get to look forward and get excited for a game that's really two young quarterbacks that's going to kind of define this division for years to come, hopefully. Yeah, exciting. Uh, great matchup. Obviously a huge game in terms of playoff implications for both sides, and uh, we're looking forward to it. We have a great guest joining us today. Uh, yeah. Tell us yeah. about it, Josh. Yeah, Jake Burns is joining us, who uh, obviously we got to bring someone in from Cleveland because uh, they know more about the Browns now than, I mean, we, we got the former Browns. We can talk about where the Browns used to be. But they've got the Browns. We need someone with uh, experience that can talk about this team. So we brought in Jake Burns from the Orange and Brown Report. Jake, how you doing? Hey, guys. I'm great. I can't complain if I wanted to. 
Life's good. I talked to Jake earlier today, did a reciprocal podcast uh, on his show, and I can already tell you, you're going to really be impressed by this guy's knowledge of the Browns, knowledge of football in general, and uh, we're thrilled to have you, Jake. Yeah, guys, I'm excited, obviously. It's uh, it's it's nice to run into some X's and O's uh, type podcasts like yourself. I'm, 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 I'm new to what you're doing, but I'm a big fan of it early on here and uh, excited to join you. Outstanding. You guys already had this conversation earlier today, so what we really should do is just compare the two episodes and see uh, which one comes out better. Fair <laughs> enough, Jack. This is your second take, your second chance to get information correct. Well, before it was me talking about the Ravens, this is really going to be different. It's going to be him talking about the Browns and going through it piece by piece. I'll have a few interjections, but hopefully you're doing about 70% of the talking here as we go right. through. And Ken, you've already got your Ravens talking because I heard I got multiple people telling me you were on the Big Bad Morning Show this morning. Yeah, that's right. Lots of lots of fun. Uh, good questions from uh, Jerry and Rob and Ed, and all kinds of fun. Are you going to be a regular over there? That's the word. So once a once a week I'll be with them. Once a week in the in the afternoon, and once a week somewhere else that I'm not sure yet. All right, it's exciting. Glad to see uh, that stuff going for you. But uh, why don't we get into this game on Sunday? Big matchup. Yeah, two hot young quarterbacks, obviously. Uh, Baker having a little bit of a tough year so far. We'll let him, let uh, Jake tell us about him. Uh, but first of all, start us by talking through the season to date so far. Obviously, Tennessee didn't go the way you wanted. Uh, you know, big win over the Jets in the Rams game, which was close, but not quite a cigar. Tell us about it. Yeah, so I think they, they jump into week one with – uh, some pretty outrageous expectations based on who they were as a team, where they were as a coaching staff, as a cohesive unit, and uh, things sort of blew up in their face in the fourth quarter. Played really well through three quarters, had it to 15-13. Tennessee had a great game plan on both sides of the football to mitigate what the Browns were going to do in an opening game setting, and uh, and unfortunately it just fell apart in the fourth quarter. Uh, Mayfield threw three turnovers, uh, specifically, I should say, he threw three interceptions, uh, the first of which was uh, which was pretty ugly. That gave the Ravens a chance to jump out to uh, a 29-13 lead. Then the second two were sort of garbage time, but that was deflating. It was it was a big it was a big game, obviously, large part due to expectations, but also the Browns haven't won a uh, a home opener since 2004. I'll ask you guys, you know who they beat? And then their last home opener um, in 2004. Unfortunately, we remember that 20 to three Easter egg well to this day. Yeah, that's the long, the long wait this franchise has made is figuring out um, how to win a home opener. And the, the, the 2004 Jeff Garcia version is blast in the past as that is, was the last one to do it. They couldn't, they couldn't finish it. Obviously week one, week two, the jets were depleted, obviously down their quarterback, um, you know, Sam Darnold, and then and then they lose Trevor Simeon in the middle of the game, and it was just a, an ugly game offensively that uh, that Cleveland was able to just sort of get enough done uh, offensively, a nice long uh, Odell Beckham catch that that, that eighty nine yarder, uh, but still stagnant offensively, and the same problems persisted, which we'll talk about at length later on. But uh, you know those issues rendered themselves still strong defense uh, playing well, then and 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 come out of that I think twenty three thirteen final then. Uh, you, just last week, uh, Sunday Night Football, I think most people would have saw that game, 20-13 to 13 loss, where they uh, were down their entire secondary. And um, we can talk about sort of the status of that secondary going into this week. But the entire secondary was out. They played valiantly on defense, uh, kept everything in check, created three turnovers against the Rams, did enough to win. But they're still offensively going through some issues, which, again, we'll talk about. They were unable to overcome those, had a chance late with about – 30 seconds-ish left to uh, throw a touchdown from the four-yard line and tie it. Actually had four opportunities to uh, to score the to, to chance to tie that game, but didn't do so. So, um, yeah, that's that's where they're at. They're one and two. They're playing competitive football, but they're, uh, there are a lot of questions to be answered, you know, uh, and we'll talk about that too. I'm not sure who these guys are yet. Some underlying statistics are really positive, but they're one and two, and um, – you know they're gonna, they, they, but this is early in the year, and 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 this game, if the Browns find a way to win it, all of a sudden they're tied for the division lead, and everybody's in the thick of it. So there, there's a lot to be positive about still, but uh, as far as just a, a positive vibe among the fan base and the and the and the franchise right now, it's not quite there yet. So this is a big week for them. All right. Well, certainly, yeah, I agree. The, the hype was all there at the beginning of the year. Maybe start with Baker in terms of his growth from last year and and what you've seen out of him that's either new, encouraging, or maybe discouraging. 
Well, I think that if you look at most of this year, which I'm sure your fan base has watched from afar, much like our fan base watches the Ravens from afar, uh, the buzz is that he's he's floundering, and I don't think that that is in any way incorrect. He is um, still the same guy in, in large parts, but the offense is challenging. The Browns had 18 penalties week one, were behind the sticks on third down for more than 12 yards eight times in that game, which is just silly. You cannot do anything. So they put themselves in bad positions. And week two, they found themselves also behind the sticks again several occasions. They actually have the worst third down to go yardage average among the, uh, you know, among the league. So they're putting themselves in bad positions. They're dropping, uh, you know, quite frequently. They're playing in eleven personnel, being forced to throw the football in predictable situations. What's alarming is last year you look at many teams across the league, and it was it was a number that was high. Was the Rams' usage of eleven personnel? Uh, significantly the highest in the NFL last year. The Browns are actually outpacing the Rams right now at 11 personnel, I think 84 to 83%. And um, it's 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 raised some eyebrows. Now, we're going to talk about David Njoku being hurt. They're tight end, so there's a little bit of a problem with using multiple tight ends. And they don't have a true fullback on the roster, so they're sort of pigeonholed into 11 personnel. But what's going on with Baker is just a guy who's really uncomfortable with what he's seeing. I think he's not seeing the game as well as he did last year. And really what's happening is defensive coordinators, and I'm sure what Baltimore is going to do, is they are going to disguise coverage. They're going to move people late. They're going to manipulate his eyes. And I think that is giving him fits. He is not very comfortable right now working through progressions, working read one to read two to read three if he can get to read three. But I haven't seen him feel very comfortable working even read one to read two. Every time it seems like he is flushing out of the pocket, which is a pretty big problem. He's he's escaping pockets too soon. Occasionally pockets are folding around him. It's a it's a you know, anytime I say this all the time, guys. In the NFL, if you have one problem as an offensive or defensive unit, you're in really good shape because you can fix one problem. But when you have a multiple set of problems on any side of the football, it becomes really hard to figure out. So Mayfield's struggling. The offensive line is struggling uh, on occasion, not consistently struggling, but on occasion they will leak some things through, and that will lead uh, to some problems for for Baker, you know, for Baker feeling comfortable back there for going read one to read two and sort of resetting his feet and doing all of those necessary things to reset his feet and go read one to read two. So he was actually flushed out of the pocket to the right on too many occasions Sunday night, which led, uh, you know, th- the numbers have gone pretty crazy. He was the best in the NFL last year, according to Pro Football Focus. Uh, escaping to the right, going 24 or 42 for 403 yards. Hmm. This year, he's already, in, in just three starts, he's escaped, pushing out of the pocket to his right. Now, some his fault, leaving a pocket too soon. Some the offensive line's fault. Some defense is covering pretty bland schemes pretty well. He's actually three for 19 is all he is, escaping to wow. the right this year for just 26 yards. So there's a problem. I broke down, I wrote for the OBR, uh, I broke down every single time he escaped to the right Sunday night. He did not escape pressure left, not not a single time. He actually escaped right 11 times and uh, only completed one of those throws. And uh, I went through and broke down why they're happening. It's a, it's a multitude of reasons. But yeah, I mean, the formula for Mayfield right now is to sort of try your best to contain him, mess with his sight lines in the pocket, force him to leave the pocket late, when he's forced to leave the pocket, sort of clamp down on scramble drills, and then you got a, you know, you got a chance to really contain him. If you're going to leave him in the pocket with the chance to find his read, he's one of the best, and he can do it at any point in the game. He can rip the football with an excellent arm as as well as anybody. If you watch the Browns' last drive, third and fifteen, he hits a twenty-seven yard throw, hits a sixteen yard throw back to back to put the Browns in position, but it's getting him to have to process. One read to two reads to even three reads is where defenses have said this is where we can find some trouble for this guy because he's not comfortable in the pocket. And he's having a pressure situation problem too, guys. Going going back to the game last year, Mayfield had 22 plays, 22 plays where he's rushed by five or more, threw for 80 yards and three picks in the game against the Ravens. So the, the, the thing was very aptly described, I thought, by Collinsworth on the Sunday night show is he's kind of – Throwing a fadeaway jumper every time when he's when he's retreating from the Rams defense and just trying to get a desperate pass off, and that speaks to the very low percentage of uh, of throws on that right side. Overall, for this year, I'm I'm looking at next gen and I'm seeing that his relationship between his air yards and his 
uh, I'm sorry, his completion air yards and his intended air yards is normal. He's about two yards less on, on that thing, uh, on that stat. He's a little bit lower in completion rate versus expected completion rate. Is there anything about that you would point to as, you know, he's doing something to himself to reduce his chances to complete a ball that he has, has, has done? Mm. No, not the way you're putting that question. I, I wouldn't say there's anything that glaringly stands out. No. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to just completely interrupt you, but we did need to have a little bit back and forth as we go through this. I, I, I'm sorry about that, Jake. Uh, tell us about, you know, maybe move on from Breaker if you want to talk, talk about the offensive line, because I know we're very interested in hearing what's going on position by position there. Yeah, so they're, they're starting Greg Robinson at left tackle. Um, they, they, he's been up and down, uh, had some good, some bad, as anybody in his position will do. He's a mediocre player. He's a C-minus to C player, uh, but he's doing okay at left tackle. Left guard is Joel Batonio, one of the league's best, mm-hmm. pretty consistent football player, athletic, uh, can move. He's a guy that they like to move and, and, and run game and um, will move him in play-action pass game. J.C. Treader's their center. Good football player, undersized a bit, but really moves well to the second level. Is a big part of protection schemes for them as a leader on their offense. I think he's going to be a guy they try to lock down for a while. Does a nice job in pass pro. Right guard was a position that they had a three-way battle for in camp. They were rotating three guys day by day. Eric Cush, who has a connection to general manager John Dorsey, is the right guard uh, player for for the foreseeable future here. They traded for Wyatt Teller from Buffalo, but they have not given him a chance yet. Teller was – or sorry – Cush was fine in his first two starts, played really well. Pro Football Focus graded him uh, really well. Last week, Aaron Donald humbled him, as Aaron Donald will do for anybody. <laughs> and Michael Brockers gave him a lot of fits, too. And um, he just was dominated by bull rushes. They were playing three technique wide players uh, along the defensive line interior and pushed him and gave him fits. He, he graded in the 20s, which was fit for what I watched on tape. And then right tackle is traditionally Chris Hubbard, but he is out with an ankle foot injury. I'm not sure if he's practiced yet this week. Not sure if he's playing. He is a below average player who struggled when he was playing. They traded for a young man named Justin McRae from Green Bay, who John Dorsey knew from his Green Bay tenure. Obviously, you're seeing a lot of connections to Kansas City and Green Bay. He is uh, was an interior player who they bumped to right tackle. He played would, a little bit of right tackle. Go ahead, sorry. Would, would he be next up if uh, if the starting right tackle can't go? Yeah, he started last week. So McCray started okay. for Hubbard last week, and uh, he was fine. He, you know, he's, he's a backup right tackle. He misses some blocks. He leaves some inside angles open here and there. Um, and, and they, their their right tackle situation is not pretty. It's a place that you can take advantage of. I expect him to start again. Some good, like I said, some really nice run block finishes, but he just does not do well athletically, agilely, um, with his agility left to right. And um, spin moves gave him fits against uh, against the against the Rams. So I, but I, like I said, I expect him to be the starting right tackle, and then Teller is sort of their backup interior guy, and then Austin Corbett should probably end up their their draft pick a few years back will end up uh, dressing too. So, yeah, the offensive line is not not great by any stretch of the imagination, below average in terms of sheer overall cohesiveness. But uh, you know, they can hold their own and give them enough opportunities. It's just about finding those opportunities for Baker to push the football down the field. All right, all right. Now the wide receiver core. Substantially upgraded from last year, the Ravens fans were coming into Week 17. We're all afraid that the big play would be made by Perriman at some point in that game to to lose them another playoff spot. And of course, you know that didn't happen exactly. Though Perriman did make a catch on that final drive and then caught a touchdown in the game. He's gone. OBJ is in. Tell us who else is around. Yeah, Odell Beckham, I don't need to go into detail about him. He's fantastic, um, you know, electric with the football in his hands. He's healthy. He's playing well. you got to figure out a way to bracket him. St. Louis, the the, the, the the Titans, everybody's done bracket coverage on him because you just have to. Jarvis Landry, not a fast guy, but agile enough, can go get tough catches. He's still obviously actively involved, big part of their blocking game. He's not a threat unless you let him be a threat. If you let him sneak around your zone coverage, like I know he caught a touchdown, had one doink off his face mask, running wide open on the hash week 17 last year. I don't know if you guys recall that. He snuck around in the secondary against Baltimore last year. You let him go untouched, he'll, he'll find ways to get open. Most teams have sat on him really, really well this year, but he is a tough contested catch player who's made a couple of those really nice plays this year. The other big name in their 11 personnel is is 
uh, Rashard Higgins, but Rashard Higgins is dealing with an, a, a lingering week one knee ankle injury when he was rolled up on. He has not played week two, did not surprisingly play week three. His status is uncertain for week four, uh, so we are not sure if he is going to play. He seems to be a little bit fragile, so we're not sure. He did catch a week five touchdown against uh, – it actually had – Three big catches against the Ravens in, in Cleveland last year. One went for a touchdown. So he's a big part of what they do. And if if uh, if we're being honest, he's Baker's security blanket, and having him play is a big deal for him. Okay. So I, I'm noticing that Beckham and Landry have got 53 targets between them, completely dominating the passing game, obviously, with Chubb being the third most likely target on the team. Uh, here's something that bothers me a little bit about Landry. He's caught only 10 of 23 balls this year, and he's a possession receiver, uh, although his average is pretty pretty good per throw this year. How is he being used differently that his catch rate is so low? Well, I don't think they use him like they did in Miami, which was a lot of swings, bubbles, quick throws uh, to get him in the the, the ball in, in, in space and let him make people miss. He has nice a set of agility. He has fluid hips. He can make people miss. But they seem to push him down the field a little bit more than I would feel comfortable doing. And they have for two years between Todd Haley, who was the offensive coordinator for a while last year before Freddie Kitchens took over. His depth of target increased significantly last year compared to his Miami years. I have not looked at that depth of target, but I would imagine it's around the similar number based on how far they've pushed him downfield on some targets. He does not create much separation. And if you get him in man situations or you get him in zone match situations, you know, whether it's pattern matching schemes defensively, you can run with him and you can give him a headache. And I think that that's what it is, is he does not create a ton of separation. And Baker's missed him a couple of times, admittedly, too. But it's it's a lack of separation that means that his target number is is going down based on his catch number. And uh, I'm not sure we're going to see that change based on how teams are playing the Browns uh, of late. All right. All right. Now, you mentioned the 11 personnel. Is that what the Browns like to run out of? Are they Do they prefer to run out of 11 or would they prefer to run out of 12 or 21? You know, they run, uh, they run so much 11 that I think that they – they just do. I, I mean, it's tough for me to tell you whether they do or don't because they are forced to run so much 11. You know, when they had the uh, week one, they have everybody healthy, right? They have everyone healthy. They're ready to go, but they're so far behind the sticks so frequently with 18 penalties. It puts them in a really bad situation. That means that they have to go 11 personnel to throw the football to make up for lost ground. I didn't think that was a good indicator for what they want to do. Now go week two. They did a little bit more 12 personnel. They did a little bit more with him, and they're, they're now primary tight end, Demetrius Harris, who came over from Kansas City. But the problem is David Njoku gets hurt early on. They lose him. They're forced to run more 11 personnel. And then they say week three, it's again, and I'm sure we're going to see the same thing, guys. Week four, They don't have a second tight end they love. They play Pharaoh Brown who you're probably saying, who mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly? He's he's really a bounced-around player in the NFL. He came from Oakland. They, they don't have a really good – and they have Ricky Seals-Jones, who they played a little bit to um, this past week, who they brought in uh, sort of the beginning of the year as his depth got thin. So they I don't think they love playing multiple tight ends all too much, so I think they're going to run a ton from 11 personnel to answer your question. And that's really just de facto – they don't want to be in anything other than 11 personnel that often. Now, we talked about this on my podcast. They could self-scout. They could come out with a completely different game plan. I'm prepared for anything this week because they know how much they have to win. But if we're just looking at raw data from what we've seen from them, they want to run out of 11 personnel because they have no better option currently. Okay, well, the 11 personnel forces a third corner on the field for the Ravens, and I think right now that is some of their weakness. Ricky Seals-Jones is a name that had come up before as a, as a tight end who'd had a fair amount of success. At least I think he had 34 catches with the Cardinals, was it, before he came to the Browns? Yeah. Does that sound right? Okay. And so he's only, he's only been – he only has one reception so far this year, so they really have not been using him. All right. Uh, great. Good to know. Okay. I, I appreciate you filling us in on that. Uh, talk about the running backs. Talk about Chubb in particular, because he's one of the exciting young players on the Browns. Yeah, you came into this year with with three really good running backs uh, with with league notoriety. Obviously, they brought in Kareem Hunt, who is uh, is one of, known as one of the league's best. If you put aside personal problems, he's not eligible to play until Week Nine. 
You go into Nick Chubb and Duke Johnson. Duke Johnson wants to trade. They trade him to Houston. So they have two young running backs behind Duke Johnson, or sorry, behind Nick Chubb, Dontrell Hilliard, a kid they like a lot. Uh, they they kept around as an undrafted free agent out of Tulane. And then uh, Dearness Johnson, who's a South Florida kid who went to the U.S., or sorry, the AAF, and uh, found his way back to the NFL and has been okay for them. But they're, you know, Nick Chubb is a good football player. He's improved as a wide receiver. He's a very patient runner. He does things right most of the time. He's he's always going to grade well. He was the highest graded running back in pro football focuses analytic data last year. Really astounding numbers, uh, you know, after first contact. Had a great year, and he's still having a really good year this year. They just have not been able to be in many situations that allow for them to really run the football a ton. He ran the football very well week three because the Browns found themselves in more neutral, unpredictable situations. Um, but he's good. I mean, you got to contain him. Outside zone is where they're really good at out of the gun, and he runs that so patiently, and he finds creases so well. I know last year Nick Chubb did not run the ball very well week 17 when he actually got to start. Sorry if I go off on a tangent, but they played Carlos Hyde a ton last year early in the year, and then Nick finally got his chance midway through the year uh, after they traded Carlos, and then it took off for him. And it was really funny because week 17 he ran for – he crossed the 1,000-yard threshold, and then the Ravens tackled him a couple times behind the line of scrimmage and cost him that number. Um, But no, nonetheless, he's having a nice second year. They're just not using him a ton, but they ran a ton of running back screens. You talked earlier about – you know, them uh, having a high volume of targets to to Nick Chubb. This is, I, I counted eight running back designed run screen plays in week uh, week three, which is just a, it's kind of a ridiculous number of running back screens to throw. It's so predictable. And by the end of the game, the Rams were sniffing out all of them. So they're going to use Chubb in the run game. They're not going to, nece- or sorry, in the passing game, they're not going to necessarily run him on a ton of routes one-on-one against linebackers or, or big nickel, nickel safety type players. But uh, they're going to give him some touches here and there. I don't expect that screen game number to be so high. But you got to keep him contained. You can't let him hurt you in between the tackles, and you can't let him hurt you on the outside zone stuff. They played him 97% of snaps last week, a big increase, which I expected to happen. Uh, but the you know the two other backs are, are kind of just jags right now, for lack of a better term. They're just guys. I, they're fine players. Dontrell Hillier can do a little bit in the pass game. He had the first rushing touchdown of the year. But he's not going to hurt you unless you just sort of forget about him and don't and don't play sure tackle fit up football. And, um, you know, same with Dearness Johnson. Those guys aren't big time players until they get Kareem Hunt week nine. But, uh, you know, I expect Nick Chubb to be on the field a ton and I expect him to get a ton of runnings, you know, running opportunities and um, some screen games will be stuff will be sprinkled in. But I don't expect a ton of uh, putting him in passing situations that allow him to go against. players. so I wouldn't be worried about that all too much. All right. So he's certainly he's averaging. Over 19 rushes a game, got 58 in three games, and 15 targets. So that is a significant number of touches for a running back in the league these days. And there aren't very many running backs playing that kind of a percentage of snaps. In fact, there might not be another one playing more snaps than Nick Chubb. All right. All right. So we talked a little bit about that. Let's move over to the defensive side. So, you know, one thing I always like to talk about is what's their most common base look on defense and you, you told me earlier on the show they're a committed nickel team and I want to go back and check that I certainly found out that's the way it looked against the Rams in week three the first two weeks it looked like there were more defensive backs and played by than played that played was that a matter of injuries moving people around playing different packages or was it a matter of what yeah well I mean the the the, the fact is they want to play a four two five like you said they they have uh, they loaded it up on safety talent uh, through a variety of ways uh, to, to sort of give them different opportunities to bring different guys on the field to fit different situations. So they signed Morgan Burnett from Pittsburgh. They traded for Eric Murray from Kansas City, and they signed or brought over midway through last year and kept him around this year, Jermaine Whitehead, all of which can play different roles in the in the secondary and uh you know, one's a you know a couple of those guys are better run defenders. One of those guys, Eric Murray, is a better pass defender, and they use them accordingly. Now, week one, it was a heavy tight end game usage uh, from from Tennessee. They were in 12 and 13 personnel often, so the Browns were rotating who they brought in there, safety depending on situation. But then they've been so beat up. Like Demarius Randall didn't play week two, and he's their best free safety. And uh, he didn't play week two. They brought in a young man, Justin Burris, who they had around. They brought him back in. He played really well. Uh, he played really well there in week three. I think they're going to play him a lot more. I'm not sure. I, to give you an answer, 
they're beat up in the secondary. I'm not sure who's going to – Morgan Burnett may play. He might not play. We're going to have to see how, how that gets when, when the time approaches. I know Demarius Randall is out of concussion protocol. I expect him to play, so that will probably clear things up. They'll probably play those two a good bit. Their two starting corners, young Greedy Williams, who they drafted out of LSU in the second round, who's played really good football, is uh, dealing with a hamstring, and the same as Denzel Ward, their young Ohio State corner, who had a good rookie mm-hmm. year both of which are trending toward not playing again. They did not play last week, so they'll play T.J. Carey and um, Terrence Mitchell, both who have been around for a couple years now on the outside. They're solid veteran players, uh, so so it's just it's it's a shuffling act right now as they try to get some bodies healthy. But when they're all healthy, they got a, like a, a nice collection of guys who can do different things. That, like you said, the snaps will look a little crazy because they shuffle those guys in and out in different you know variety of formation packages. All right, so so let's go back to the safeties for a minute. So they have how many safeties they have on the roster for the for the Browns total? Just numbers. Yeah, well, I think that they started with five, so I think that yeah. number's still the same with bringing Burris back. Okay, so the Ravens are a team not similarly, not dissimilarly structured. They had five safeties who were all going to make it based on their ability to play defense and also some special teams. But they added another guy, Brendan Trawick, a sixth safety. And there are that rare NFL team who activates six safeties on game day. Now, Brendan Trawick was inactive in week three. He was injured in week two, so they only had five again. But Usually when you have that situation, A, you play a lot of dime if you're going to keep that many uh, safeties on the roster. So you would have a dime backer replacing your one of your inside linebackers. And, and, and B, you would find creative ways to use them, whether it's big nickel or in some other way, quarter perhaps, to get, to, to get two of them on the field at once. But from what I'm hearing with you, the, the, the Browns are really a committed nickel team. And when they're a committed nickel team, especially from what I saw against the Rams— that slot, that slot guy is always pretty much a corner and not a safety. It varies. I should, I, I'm remiss to say too. I, I left out rookie Sheldrick Redwine, so they're a six safety team too. They are traditionally five, but Redwine is hurt. Randall was hurt. They have six on the roster right now. They dress five. I just, I, I, I should have mentioned him. But back to your question, they will play T.J. Carey in the slot. Uh, when both of their outside corners are healthy, they'll play true nickel, but they will also play big nickel and run situations or matching up with big slots or matching up with tight ends. A team like Baltimore who plays multiple tight ends, they'll play a big slot player. Typically, it would be somebody like a Morgan Burnett. They will use Justin Burris, I would imagine, that way this week too, especially with Randall back healthy. So they will match personnel and um, in, in situations that are rundown situations, they'll bring in somebody they feel comfortable with there. Uh, even if it's a bigger body, they'll they'll rotate those uh, corners and safeties pretty intermittently. Okay, that'll be interesting to watch because Andrews is a guy who splits wide more often than he's in line, certainly, and uh, will be a guy that needs to be covered. So the Ravens often often running out of twelve personnel now. It's, it's, it's actually more complex than that. We don't. This is a Brown show, so we don't need to get get into that anymore. But it'll be interesting to see who the Browns put on Andrews in the slot when he's there. All right, so take us through the position groups. Now, the defensive line, tremendous strength for this Cleveland team. Obviously, they're built, I would say, front to back in the on the defensive side of the ball. Tell me about that. Yeah, I mean, um, it's it's a really it's just a really good front four. I mean, Miles Garrett is off to a fantastic start. Five sacks, uh, a couple forced fumbles. He's doing everything you want a first overall pick defensive end athlete freak to do. He's tough to block. He's been a better run game defender. Had a little bit of an issue with penalties, some late hits. Uh, but I think any any guy who's around the quarterback will go through those issues occasionally. Olivier Vernon, not a ton of sack stats, but really good pressure stats and just a really good strong side uh, you know, run game holding, edge holding defensive end. I think he's a big upgrade to the guy they had last year, Emmanuel Ogba, who they sent to uh, who they sent to Kansas, Kansas City. City. And he's a really yeah, he's a really nice fit. For, uh, for what Cleveland wants to do in this 4-2-5. And then interior-wise, they have a young guy named uh, Larry Ogunjobi, who they drafted out of Charlotte a few years back, is is a nice young player, uh, is shade technique player, um, is, is, is got a couple sacks, he gets after things. He, he could be a little bit more consistent. He's certainly the weakest of the front four. The other player, Sheldon Richardson, who's off to a really nice start. Sheldon is a bounced around between the Jets, Seahawks, and Vikings, but he's found a home here in Cleveland, I think, for the long haul, uh, especially because his contract says he's for the long haul. But nonetheless, <laughs> he's playing 
He's playing good football. Those front four are really good, and I think it's going to be, like I told you on my podcast earlier, by far the best the Ravens have seen from a front four, um, uh, especially if you mix in. They got a young guy named Devereaux Lawrence who they rotate in along the uh, interior defensive line is a nice player. Brought him over. Um, brought him over from. I think I think he came over from New Orleans. He's he's fit and he's finally healthy. He's fitting in really well. They occasionally bring in Daniel Aquale, who's an interior uh, rotating player from Washington State. He he was a surprise make on the roster. Not not anything exceptional. Just going to give you five, six, seven snaps a game on the edge. Uh, they have uh, backups are Chris Smith, who came from Cincinnati, had a nice stretch with the Bengals. He's he's a fine reserve player unfortunately i don't know you guys probably have no idea but his wife just passed away in a roadside accident pretty terrible Ooh. stuff yeah um i'm not sure if he's gonna play he played last week but i i don't know if he's gonna play again he, he has he's been in and out of practice obviously as anybody would be in that situation uh, otherwise they have third pick uh third round pick from the 2018 draft chad thomas out of miami who's been just a real sheer disappointment it feels like every franchise has these players they talk about He's been a disappointment, but he was better last week, finally. He was most of the time inactive his rookie season, has sort of caught his stride, and uh, he will be a rotational defensive end player. The front four are very good, guys. They're very good. One of the better ones in the entire NFL. But if you can wear them down, and we talked about if they're able to control the line of scrimmage and run the football effectively and keep the Browns' defense on the field a lot, and you can chip away into that second unit, you can really cause some problems. So front four, very good marginable or sorry marginal uh backups but i think that's probably the way it goes for most of the league but especially with the browns in this situation okay now playing a team like the rams i could understand why you play nickel every single snap playing a team like the ravens is there any room for base for the browns in this game and i'm looking through snap count am i correct saying joe Schobert has the green dot right now or is it somebody else in the secondary and it's just an injury that means he doesn't have the most snaps uh, is, is, so you're asking if Joe Schobert, is he, it normal for him to have the most snaps? Is yeah, that what no, you're saying? no, does he have the signal callers green dot? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He's the, he is certainly the cerebral leader of the defense. Yeah. He okay. is their, he is their guy, uh, that, 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 that has been handling things for a couple of years. So yeah, he's their, he's their uh, quarterback of the defense for sure. Okay. So never leaves the field on that. And then I, I, I go down to that and I see that Miles Garrett has played about maybe 85% of the snaps. He's missed about 34 snaps all year so far. So maybe even a little bit less than that. But is there a, a pattern to how maybe they take him out or how many plays in a row they'll let him go is one question I'd have is, you know, that's obviously that's a lot of snaps. He can play entire drives and you can't necessarily detect the pattern when he's being taken out. But I'm just wondering, you're, you're, you're mentioning the run game and getting that started and whether or not that would actually do any good. And I'm trying to figure out if there's if they if they have a way they rotate in these linemen. It seems it's just a I need a break thing. I have not noticed mm-hmm. any patterns. He played a ton of snaps. Him and Logan Joby both played a ton of snaps were among the leaders. I think Miles might have been the second most defensive line snaps in the NFL last year. He plays a ton. He's a freak of nature. So it's no surprise that he plays a ton. Uh, but I don't think there's any rhyme or reason for why he comes out. May, I mean, I'm I'm trying to pay attention to it, but it just seems like he runs out when he needs gas, or he doesn't go in for a few plays at the beginning when he needs a little bit of right. a little bit of air. But no, there's there's no there's no real pattern there for him, and and uh, I haven't really noticed a pattern for the defensive line in general. Okay, got to take it down another level then, because the two interior guys, Ogunjobi and Richardson, are also 75% guys, maybe. In terms of their snap percentage, which is very high in the NFL for this, the Ravens very rotational team. So last year they didn't have anyone play over. I think it might have been 51, 52 percent of the snaps. So it's it's surprising when we when we see another team and they're they're really leaning so heavily on individual players. And my other question would be in terms of snap count. I don't I don't think they got tre- tremendously beaten in the snap count in Week One by Tennessee even because Tennessee no, was not. yeah. And how about by the Rams? Do you know? I haven't looked at the total snap count numbers, but I don't think mm-hmm. that they were – I don't think it was anything crazy because they both had long possessions. So right. um, I, I could look that up, but it, but I, I, it hasn't felt like they've been dominated 
by plays on the field by anybody. Now, last year it was skewed because they had a ridiculous amount of overtime games, and that jumped up everybody's stat numbers in terms of sheer right. just number of stats played. But you're right. The high numbers are not anything different than what we've seen. Those guys played a lot last year. The, between Greg Williams, who was the defensive coordinator last year, and Steve Wilkes this year, they only have faith in their front guys. They don't have a ton of faith in the guys behind them, and I think that that shows. And their philosophy is we're going to play our front four until we can't play them, give them a quick break, let them gather, and then get them right back in there. I think that's the philosophy they've taken because they know, especially last week, we got a really beat up secondary and we need to be able to win at the point of attack to have any shot. And I think that's why those numbers are pretty high. Okay. They're very interesting. The six, they haven't played over 64 defensive snaps in a game. The other two were under 60. So the Browns have done a good job of, of getting off the field and probably shortening games themselves, or maybe their opponents were the ones doing it, but, uh, but they haven't really lost the snap count badly yet. And that is something the Ravens depend on is is winning snap count and winning snap count decisively by continuing drives. So, uh, you know, I, I'd look for that to be something they try and do against the Browns. But anyway, that's that's you know great information. How about the linebacking core uh, inside linebackers? This is something I talked about on your show was how much trouble the Ravens have had from their inside linebackers in terms of making a contribution going backwards in coverage, particularly in those zone coverages between level two and level three. All three of the Ravens. Inside linebackers have had a lot of trouble. Yeah, I think I think Cleveland's in an interesting predicament. They had two two veterans between Joe Schobert, who we talked about, and a guy named Christian Kirksey, who's been here one of the longest tenured Browns. Have been here, I think, since 2014, uh, something along those lines. Uh, both are your your Mike and Will. Uh, those guys are going to be the predominant four two five players. They have a Sam that they play in base. That guy was a Darius Taylor who they signed from. Tampa Bay, but he has been dealing with concussion issues and they have steered away from much base, period. So Christian Kirksey has some sort of pectoral issue. He might be an injured reserve guy. He might be done for the year. They're looking for some sort of answer there. They have played in his position at will. Mac Wilson, who is from Alabama, the fifth round pick, had a really strong preseason, had a really strong camp, and uh, was really good Sunday again. Very strong player. And has actually outplayed Kirksey to a large extent. So they have not seen a drop-off at that position. Now, week-to-week with a rookie, you never know. But that is who they have plugged in. They have a young man named Sione Takitaki, who is their backup Mike, who they think has a really bright future here. BYU kid they drafted in the fourth round. But for now, you're looking at seeing, for this weekend, you're seeing a ton of Joe Schobert, who's playing really good football. The second-highest coverage grade in the NFL behind Bobby Wagner last year is really good at covering the middle of the field in predictable pass situations. They do, as any linebacker crew Uh, can do that can struggle covering the middle of the field against the right play action passes and the right down and distances that have the right amount of deception. Delaney Walker hurt them week one with some some really innovative plays from Arthur Smith, the offensive coordinator in Tennessee, snuck them out in a couple different directions that gave the Browns some trouble. Uh, But overall, I think they're better in this scheme than they were the last scheme being able to defend the tight ends. Does that mean that can't Mark Andrews can't have a great day? That's not to say, but I do think that uh, they're a little better fit in this scheme. Having another defensive back on the field a lot helps them out too. And Mac Wilson is a good coverage player, better coverage player than run defender. And really, Schobert is a better coverage player than run defender too. If you can make Joe have to tackle quite often, he was uh, the NFL's leader in missed tackles last year. He wow. can have some troubles running laterally. He's a good box linebacker, but laterally he takes poor angles and has some issues there. I would expect them to challenge him as frequently as they can. As they gave they gave Joe Schobert some fits in Week 17 last year with over pursuit, different sorts of run, uh, you know, read option schemes. So. So it's a decent linebacker group. They're down a guy, but I don't think it's going to be that big of an issue in terms of quality of that group. Uh, I certainly think the linebacker group was the weakest when everybody's healthy, but with the fact that the secondary is as beat up as they are, linebacker group's been playing really well so far, but they have a, you know they have their hands full this week. All right. All right. That, that's an outstanding description of those guys, and, and uh, that sounds interesting. One of the things that came up in, in watching the Rams game was Collinsworth talking about how – the linebackers were offset in a way that was allowing a particular seam cutback. Did you you hear that comment? Third quarter, maybe. Yeah, they're talking about how teams have sort of uh, the, the the Patriots' mo of, of of playing the Rams, which is the Rams are a bread and butter wide zone team. They're going to wide zone you to death. And everything they do off of that wide zone play action, jet sweeps, jet action, is all built off of success they find in wide zone. So the Browns 
And everybody that the Rams have played so far this year are taking that wide zone away. You know, the NFL is a copycat league. They're taking that away. And uh, the Browns were playing Will, their Will linebacker, quite far outside and saying, hey, we know which tendency side you're going to run this wide zone to. And that was uh, a play that in the second half, the Rams were able to adjust and find some off-tackle, off-guard, just simple duo scheme at the point of attack. And there was a bubble that was created there. The Browns corrected it and did some different things to mitigate it. But uh, I like that their game plan was based on taking away what the Rams do really well. It felt like in years past, it was a dartboard system (laughs) defensively. It was, we'll throw something out there and we'll see if it works and we'll blitz and we'll see if it works. It has felt more, I've said this about Steve Wilkes, he's a a better thinking, adjusting on the fly defensive coordinator than the Browns have had in a while. And I think that will do them, him and Al Holcomb, who was his defensive coordinator with uh, when when Wilkes was just with the Rams last year, or sorry, with the uh, Cardinals before he was fired last year. Both of those guys have done a really good job transforming the defense schematically and helping the linebackers play good football. So let me ask you this about Wilkes then, because we've, we've been through a number of different defensive coordinators here, but Dean Pease was for six years before Martindale. And how I think most Ravens fan would describe him as cautious, what I would describe him as is a very good schematic uh, coach in terms of lining his guys up in a, in a place that would help them defend against longer plays probably, but not as much of a gambler. And the thing that I really love about Martindale, where there's multiple things, I love that he's a snap manager, but more than that, I love that that he, he gambles and he realizes that the defense usually has to gamble because the offense, if they get a mean result, play after play after play, will march right down the field. So, so you know, teams that now are, are getting more towards that, and, and Baker could be that guy, but Baker seems like more of a big play guy. Really, Jackson is more that guy in terms of getting you a median result on, on a lot of plays. Uh, you you got to try and find a way to stop that. And that's that's what I would ask you is, how would they the Browns go about that? And, and how much is Wilkes a gambler as opposed to more of a, let's set our pieces in place so that they minimize the bad news? Yeah, that's a great point. I think that I think that Greg Williams leaned more in the way you're talking about there, which is uh, just, you know, sort of a more gambler's approach. Roll the dice. Let's try something here based on a hunch that we have or a tendency we have and go with it. I think Wilkes is more of an approach of thoughtful aggression. I think he's a he's a guy who's going to try to scheme up things, whether that's, um, you know, what they call simulated pressures, giving you a look and bailing out and bringing somebody off the opposite side. He has a really, he does a really good job of scheming up teams pass protection. So he has a no way of knowing if you walk down two a gap linebackers, how they're going to adjust to that. And then mm-hmm. being able to give another blitzer an opportunity at a free run. He will do a lot of those, um, you know, simulated pressures that will give fits. I, I, he likes to blitz. There's no doubt about that. But his blitzing feels more purposeful to me, more intentful, less let's see if this can work gamble-style nature. I think they play a lot of three deep, three under. So they will continue to do that, and they will bring a player from somewhere all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think that their their purpose is to make that player a Havoc player, maybe not bring six, seven guys, but bring enough that it makes, you know, walk enough guys down to the line of scrimmage or sugar gap the A gaps enough to make people think they're coming. You just want to make defense or sorry, opposing offenses and protections think. And I think that's what he's trying to do a lot of. And so far it is, it has worked out pretty well. Now I will say this as we're talking about the Ravens are facing the Browns defense and this is the best test they've had. This is the best test by far offensively uh, for for what the Browns defense is going to see. The Rams are unique. They're different. But the Rams don't have some of the uh, sort of idiosyncratic uh, structure scheme things that the Ravens do. The Ravens present a different challenge than anybody the Browns will play this year. And I don't think that's uh, that's a secret by any stretch of the imagination. But I do expect this to be by far the toughest Browns test, um, you know, defensively. Uh, for 2019. So probably for both teams in in that case. So going back to Wilkes for a second, how how many, what percentage of the the blitzes, or sorry, of the pass rush uh, plays that they have, would you say are basic 4-0 blitzes where no one is dropping and no one is exchanging in any way? So it's your basic front four, the only four that rush. I had a number on that. I think it was close. It was in the 40s. Uh, it was, it was, it was, uh, pretty vanilla. They played the they played the Titans very vanilla. They loaded the box. 
didn't bring many people and dared the Titans to throw, and they threw it on him and uh, burnt the Browns several times. I, I, I know that it's going to decrease as the year goes on. I wish I had that number in front of me. I don't have that exact mm-hmm. number. But they will they will just say, hey, we have a really good front four. We're going to just come after you mano a mano and drop, you know, we're going to drop seven into coverage. They, they like doing that. They will do that. But they will also bring that nickel player or bring an extra linebacker on occasion. They're, what they're looking to do is the quarterback to never feel comfortable with where that extra rusher is coming from so they can play that three deep, three under that they love to play. Uh, but they'll they'll give you some true base too, and I think that they'll probably do a good amount of that here with with uh, with Baltimore because they don't want to put themselves in any sort of bad situation. Because if you let Lamar Jackson have one crease, not just running the football, but also throwing it this year, you're putting yourself in a bad spot. And they got like we talked about earlier, they got some guys. You know, you guys got some guys that can really put you in a bad spot. Uh, you know, if you're out of you know just one step out of place. Okay, outstanding. I, I love talking football with you, Jake, because. You really get it in terms of a four-man rush. There's four-man rushes and there's four-man rushes. And one of the things we're seeing put out by a lot of different groups is a definition that a five-man rush is a blitz, a five-plus. And I think it's much more about the amount of deception that you give. A four-man deceptive blitz is often much more treacherous and difficult to handle than a a plain vanilla five-man rush or even a five-man rush where you have one blitzer coming from inside linebacker. You know, who, Correct. you're not sure what it is. So, so I know you get it here. And I just I, I love talking football with people who are, who are your level of knowledge. I appreciate you coming on the show with us for this. So how would how do you see the Ravens? Sorry, the Browns dealing with uh, Marquise Brown as the other player? That's a good question. They have not faced somebody who is as fast and uh, as dynamic in the open field as, um, you know, as Hollywood is and and and. You know, nobody knows that better than Baker Mayfield, obviously. So they they I, I would think that they're gonna try to bracket him. They're gonna try to be physical with him at the line of scrimmage. I think if you can get hands on him and you can reroute him and hang him up in coverages, whether zone or if you're gonna pass him along to a safety, if they're doing some bracket coverage things, you gotta be physical with him. If you let him get a free run, it's a problem, and I think that that's no secret. I'm no genius. I'm just a guy behind a computer. I think that they will absolutely attack him with a physical play at the line of scrimmage, walk down, get hands on, and pass him on. They don't want to put themselves in. The last thing the Browns want to do is put themselves in any position that allows Baltimore to throw it over the top of them. That's just, in this game, how they're working, playing downhill, keeping everything in front of them. I guarantee that they're going to try to bracket him. I, I think you can get away with shading coverage away from Willie Sneed. Mark Andrews has to to be you have to look at him you have to give him considerable thought you have to play him with somebody who can run with him but I think if you're looking at how you're going to have to shut down and we've talked about the the high amount of targets for Hollywood and rightfully so he's a heck of a football player the Browns will try to say hey if you're going to beat us you're going to beat us with Willie Sneed and you're going to beat us running the football because we think we can handle those things man to man all right well Andrews I, I almost think that there's a there's a pattern to what they've been doing is that when the other team is playing man, they go to Brown. When the other team is playing zone, that's where Andrews really excels at, at sitting down in a spot and, and making a catch in, in a, a crowded area, we'll call it. All right. Uh, outstanding. So if you had to pick one player on the Browns who you think matches up well against the Ravens, who would it be? That's a good you question. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think in this situation, uh, offensively, you know, with with the Ravens playing so much cover three, and that's that's what they love to do. I just think that they're going to have to focus a lot. And this is a lame answer because he's so good, but they're going to have to figure out where the heck Odell Beckham is every snap because the Browns are trying to do a better job of moving him, not just playing him at X and lining him up on the backside of every formation. They're going to move him. They're going to put him in the slot. And I do think if you can work him over the middle of the field, catch them in zone coverages. Get him against linebacker zones. I think they're going to find a lot of success with him. They've been RPOing him in the middle of the field quite frequently. If you watch that Rams game, you saw it. They're going to put him in situations where linebackers and safeties have to play him well. I just think he's going to continue to be a focal point and really probably the guy I feel most comfortable about saying that is going to give the Ravens some fits. They can Ravens can do things to stop him. Um, there's no doubt about that. But with the status quo and what we know as we know, I think he could give them a lot of fits for what they do uh, defensively. All right. All right. Uh, that's great. I, I was going to pick one Raven I think might be effective in terms of uh, against the Browns. 
the guy they need to be effective and the matchup I think in part that will determine this is probably Garrett versus Stanley on the on the left side and Garrett is primarily from the right defensive end position he lines up correct Traditionally him and Olivier Vernon were both guys they flip-flop a decent amount now but Miles is more so a left side of the offense right side defensive end rusher yeah Okay so it'll it'll it will be Stanley of course Brown uh, has more had more trouble pass blocking this year so far as a lot of sack in each of the last two games. So that obviously will be a you know potential weakness on that side as well. So anyway, fantastic to talk to you about this, Jake. I love having an episode like this. I hope we can have one pretty much every time the Browns and Ravens play. This is a you're a great find in terms of a of, of a resource on the Browns and a resource on on football in general. Hey, no, I, I appreciate that. I got a little long-winded there. I apologize, guys. I could just talk about this for days. I'm sure you guys can do the same thing. But I, it's my pleasure. I don't get a ton of film breakdown people to talk to. I find myself talking to people that don't understand it and want to take out their anger on me like I'm a bad <laughs> guy. So it's so it's, so it's it's always good to have some guys to talk to who understand and get the niche and all of that fun stuff. So it's my pleasure. Like I said on my podcast, I hope we can do this for many years to come because we'll get two of these matchups and maybe – we might get a third one year in the playoffs, something fun like that. Probably, probably a pretty good chance, I'd say, with where these where these two looking uh, look like. Tell us a little bit about. Oh, I'm sorry, we ought to do the mailbag now. Josh, how are you yeah. doing for mailbag? Yeah, we. I have just uh, two questions we can hit up in this mailbag. Actually, we'll make it three. All right, first one up is from Mr. Ed, and he's curious about Jarvis Landry since he ended up in Cleveland. Do you believe he has been playing up to his trade value of the fourth and seventh? That's a good question. Um, I, I certainly think he is. If if you're going to critique the on the field stuff, which is very easy with Jarvis, he's never been a fast guy. He's a four seven seven forty guy. They pay him like a number one wide receiver. Doesn't produce like that necessarily, but he does bring a lot of intangibles that are important to a football team. A heck of a leader. Has a great relationship with coach and management. He is why they felt comfortable bringing in Odell Beckham. But it goes beyond just those sort of outside stuff. Like I said, the leadership part on the field, accountability is big. He's been a culture change. I'm a big believer in thermostat leaders, guys who don't need the temperature around them to bring everything up. They bring things up naturally, organically. He's one of those guys. And uh, he does enough on the football field to be worth what they paid for him, just a fourth and a seventh. And um, they give he gives them a good presence that does the little things, blocks his butt off, takes control of the locker room, is a focal point for the media when things go awry. Uh, I, I like him. I think he's been worth every penny. But if you talk to some other Browns people who are more analytical, more number-driven, they might tell you otherwise. But I'm just telling you from a film perspective, he's worth every penny. All right. Uh, simple answer. All right, uh, how about, let's talk about um, Odell Beckham Jr. What's the best way to cover him? And Jalen's wondering if a press coverage with safety over the top is the best way to kind of take him out of the game. Yeah, I mean, if you could put two guys on him, you should, because there's probably not very many guys, if any, that can handle him one-on-one. He's he's one of those five-ish top receivers in the game, and you consider him, I consider him to be, one of the top three. He's he's just dynamic at every level of the field, and he's he's able to bring in balls from a wide catch radius, and he can run really well. You have to bracket him if you want to stop him. But then, you know, at that point, if you're spending two guys on one player, that's going to open up a lot of advantages on other positions on the field. And the Browns have had that ability to take advantage. They have not done so as much as they would like. But if your intentions are going into the week and we're drawing 13 up on the whiteboard and putting an X through him saying we're taking this guy out of the game, nobody's really done that yet. He's still gotten his. He's still doing well in terms of what receivers across the league are getting from their top receivers. So uh, the the guess for my end is if you want to stop him, though, you better put a safety over top and you better be steering him whatever direction. If you want to steer a safety to a deep half, you better keep him on that half with inside shade. If you're going to steer him to a middle third safety, you're going to have to outside shoulder him and not let him beat you on your backside cover three. So, uh, yeah, bracket him, but make sure you're bracketing him with purpose and not just bracketing him to bracket him because he can still beat that stuff. That's outstanding stuff. I mean, Beckham so far this year, 9.6 yards per target, which is terrific. Uh, so other teams haven't slowed him down too much. And he's averaged, obviously, 10 targets a game and never had never had fewer than nine. Right. Yeah, right. they're going to for- – yeah, they, they force him the ball. I mean, I don't think they force him the ball, but they, they draw it up to get him the football, and Mayfield likes to find him. All right, here's a, uh, a random question from Mig uh, Doran, who's wondering – if you could take one player from the Ravens roster and plug them into the Browns roster, 
who would that player be that you'd bring over to make the biggest impact? And don't worry, uh, Ken, he wants you to do this, the vice versa. Okay, so you sure. got to think about this as well. That's a fantastic question. I always love these. Uh, I would take Ronnie Stanley. The Browns really need anchors and tackle. And, um, you know, they have a, a, an average player in Greg Robinson, and they're really searching hard at right tackle. So I would obviously take a tackle of, uh, of Ronnie Stanley's ability and plug him in right away. It would help the Browns immensely. All right, I don't want to leave the Ravens shorthanded in that matchup, so I'm going to take Miles Garrett and get the Ravens' pass rush going with somebody uh, who can do it all on his own and, and win a lot of one-on-one matchups. All right. Those are good answers. All right, so let's just make that trade, make it work out. <laughs> we can move on. So, all right, Jake, well, thanks for joining us. I've got your Twitter handle here as Jake uh, underscore Burns 18, where we want people to go and give you a follow. They can go and check out the Orange and Brown Report. What else do you have up there? You mentioned that a podcast that came out with Ken on uh, your show. How can people find that? Yeah, yeah, uh, it's uh, it's it's a Twitter handle too that I put up some film stuff on occasion. Browns Film Breakdown. It's just at Browns Film BDN, but that is really the hub for all things podcast right now. Ken's Ken's podcast with me will be up tomorrow morning. Try to get that up on Thursdays. I think you guys do the same thing to give people a couple days to digest it. And um, yeah, I think I think that those are the places. The OBR. You can find me there. Uh, you can find a lot of my opinions and analysis on Twitter, like you mentioned, my main page there, and then Brown's Film Breakdown, too. All, All right. right. One last question for the mailbag comes from, from uh, at Film Study Ravens. He wanted to know, did you think it was a reasonable trade what the Steelers did to acquire Minka Fitzpatrick? And given where the Steelers are right now at 0-3, are you happy they did it? Well, God, that's a great question. I, I've thought about it myself. They 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 clearly think that Ben Roethlisberger is going to be back, and they like Mason Rudolph. I've watched Mason Rudolph through college, and I watched him as two weeks playing here, and there's nothing to write home about that would make me feel comfortable in a draft that you're already 0-2 before that trade with an 0-3 schedule coming up and then, and then a couple tough teams in your division. I would not have done that because I don't think that – in a team that's going to need a future at quarter. That's the thing that makes the, the Ravens fantastic is that they've been able to win with a guy like Joe Flacco, and now you just easily handed the baton off to your next quarterback for a decade or longer, and the Browns are now in a decade or longer stretch of a quarterback that's quality. So it's like Pittsburgh's got to figure that out, and they just passed up on the opportunity and gave away their fifth-round pick here recently. I'm, I'll tell you what, I'm more than elated that they made that decision, and that's not nothing against Minka, who I think is a great player, but that value is not worth what they gave up, especially if they continued on the path of losing that they're on. I'm, I'm in completely the same spot, and I loved Minka Fitzpatrick coming out of Alabama. He's one of two guys, along with Derwin James, that I said, damn your needs, take him anyway at 16 if he manages to drop there. And Minka uh, would have been a great player for the Ravens to acquire because they're really, they're really stuck at slot corner right now. And given equal price, I take Minka and his four years of control over Jalen Ramsey and his two years of, of control. So I would have, I, I might have done the trade by the Ravens, but the Ravens, you know, are more obviously or should be, I think, more playing for this year than the Steelers are. All right, all right, guys. Well, um, Ken, Ed, we we got Jake's plugs out. Is I know you're on the radio, you're on FilmStudyRavens.com, got postings. You're always on Twitter. What do you want to What do you want to point people to tonight? Well, let's see. We, we've done some interesting things this week uh, This week in terms of adding a gallery section to the website that I do want people to check out. It has some cool visualizations that people have been contributing. We're looking for more. If you're listening, you want to do visualizations, maybe you already have some. We'd love to, we'd love to post them on our, uh, on our spot on the board. Uh, the article on the offensive line came out, and of course all the podcasts are already out for this week, offense and defense, uh, as well as the defensive article. So we're looking to... Uh, uh, have you come visit the website, leave your comments, and I'll make sure I respond to every single one. All right, guys. Just a couple more days left for the game. We'll uh, talk to you guys later. Hello. 
Lowe's. We're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.